it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Love this podcast because it crushes your dreams of getting rich quick. They actually got me into reading stats for anything. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern. Step-by-step premium investing guidance for beginners. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Starts now. All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. Today we have episode 300, and today we are going to answer four great listener questions we got from Spotify. So let's go ahead and start working through them. So here we go. I have, I plan on beginning to invest with this current year. How complicated or hard is it to file your taxes with investments? Might be a dumb question, but I have always been intimidated by this. So Andrew, what are your thoughts on this question that we really have never touched on before? We have it, and it can be intimidating, but mm. it's pretty easy, right? Yeah. Like one to 10, what would you say? I would probably rate it about a two. All right. So what do you do? Well, what you do is you go to your brokerage account, and you go under the documents section in your brokerage account, whether it's Fidelity, Schwab, or whoever, Ameriprise, Robinhood, you name it. They'll all have the document there for you. You go under that document and you look for your tax document and you download it. And then depending on who you use to use your taxes, I in the past have used H&R Block, Purple Tax, and then individual businesses. And all three of them are the same. You literally just give it to them like you do your W-2 and they will process the information for you. And that's it. It's easy peasy. So unless you're picking up a phone and calling somebody on Wall Street to place your trades use one of the online brokers and they will literally create these documents for you, yes. download them and then upload them and you're done. Yeah, it's that simple. It, I personally don't buy and sell much. And so there really isn't much for them to do. I can't remember the last time I sold a company. So it's just very easy to do. And whether it's a Roth or traditional, they'll hand, you know, the accountant will handle all of it for you. Very painless. Okay. All right. So hopefully that helps answer that question. So let's move on to the next one. We have, what site do you recommend to analyze important stats like ROIC, PE ratio, etc.? I use Yahoo Finance right now, but I'm not sure if it has all the info. 
Also want to thank you both for your motivating advice. So what website or sites do you like to use for this kind of information? Great question. So I like to use our buddy Braden's website, stratosphere.io, for quarterly information. So he talked about PE or price earnings ratio. If I wanted to see what that was like for a company over the last four quarters, I would go on his website because he has it. You can sort by annual, yearly, or quarterly. Really, really simple, really nice to use. For something like ROIC, I like quickfs.net. And I like their overall, just when you first hit a page on their website, I like the way it's laid out. And I like being able to see the margins and just getting like a quick snapshot of the last 10 years of a company. Mm-hmm. And it's all right there. What about you? Yeah, I'm a big, big fan of Stratosphere. I use that primarily as my main source of this kind of information. I like the fact that you can look at pretty much any company across the world on the site. And it also does everything in the local currency. So for example, if you look at a company like Diageo, which is based out of England, I believe, it's everything is in pounds. I was just recently doing some work on WISE, the transfer, cross-border transfer company, and they're based out of England and everything is in pounds. Ajin company that I own is all in euros or Google. (laughs) In dollars. So it's, it's nice to be able to see the local currency. They give you kind of perspective on that. They have all the stats that we want. Plus they have KPIs and everything. So I'm a big fan of that. But to Andrew's point, QuickFS is really nice too, because when you look at that first page in particular, you get all the, like the medians and the kagers of some of these metrics that you're referencing. So you can get a snapshot really easily of how well the company's ROIC has performed, for example, over the last 10 years or what kind of you know revenue growth the company has seen or what, what their average gross margin has been over the last 10 years. And those things are very, very helpful. So I'm a big fan of that as well. I have dabbled with Ticker and I have dabbled with Coifin as well. And those are really good as well. But I've kind of settled on Stratosphere and QuickFS as well. Yeah, I really like QuickFS cash flow statement. Mm. I haven't found anything that's similar to that. Right, yeah. That is a good one too. One of the things that I like about the way the stratosphere does the cash flow statement is they break it up into the different sections and then they also have a separate cash flow, like a free cash flow section. So you can see the different sections and kind of the inputs for that and then a breakdown of free cash flow. To me, that's kind of helpful too to just kind of check my math. Yeah, I don't like that because I have to do like three extra clicks. Right. <laughs> but it has a lot of other good stuff on yeah, there for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Lazy, I, right? Yeah, right. The thing you're going to notice about a lot of these sites is a lot of them have similar features and whatnot. It really comes down to what you're looking for, how in-depth you really want to get on different things and what your whole goal is with a site. You know, Some people like to have three or four different sites up and pick and choose from different things. Some people like to have one and just use that as their main option. I would encourage you to check out as many sites as you can. Stratosphere, Finance is great. Check all those out and find out what's going to work best for you. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Seeking Alpha as well. Yeah, All these sites, they all have strengths and weaknesses, and they all have different things that you can use. But I personally like Stratosphere the best, and that's the one that I use the most. But Coifin is great, and Ticker is great, and QuickFS are great as well. They could be very helpful. So Seeking Alpha, it's funny. Everything kind of has its own best use. If you're looking for dividends information, Seeking Alpha is really great for that. 
yeah, they are good. Yeah, they are. Uh, if you want to pull up investor presentations or the, like the quarterly slides that these companies will do for earnings, Seeking mm-hmm. Alpha is perfect for that too. Yeah. Finviz, I feel like we can't forget Finviz. No. That one's great for if you want to know instantly like five different valuation metrics. Mm-hmm. I go on there too sometimes to be like, is this is this company like at a 10 PE or a 50 PE? Like just give me that basic communication. Boom, Finviz right there. You can see where the stocks move to. Right. Yep. Like different tools for different problems. Right. Exactly. My main site, the two that I go to the most are uh, BAMSEC and Stratosphere. And those are the ones that I use the most. And I try to use them in conjunction with each other. And I find them very helpful. BAMSEC's BAM, B A M S E C dot com. Mm-hmm. That one's great for pulling up annual reports. Any official document that companies will file, yep. you can go on BAMSEC and they have them in these little in this grid where you can see the different file types. Right. And you can click in. And what I like about that one is and I don't know if this is a premium feature, because we have I have a premium account for us, is you can do you can look at the historical data really quickly. Mm-hmm. So for example, if you wanted to look at Microsoft's cloud data. Right. You can click on the similar tables and you'll be able to click through all the different years that they had that. And that mm-hmm. works for every table that's in the 10K. Right. So it's obviously cool. the main financials and the main KPIs, but then even if you wanted to get granular to the mm-hmm. three different inventory line items, you could do that and see that change over the years. And I find that really, really helpful. Oh yeah. It's awesome stuff. And I mean, it's, it's a great place to go for the primary resource and research and to see the original numbers. The websites that we're talking about are great for references, but if you really want to know exactly what's going on, you know, BAMSEC is like the perfect place to see all that. They have the company transcripts as well, which is really cool to be able to read through all that stuff. So yeah, anything you want to read about, like Andrew said, anything you want to read from an official document, proxies, you know, transcripts, you know, financial statements, it's all there pretty amazing. Hmm. So hopefully that helps. <laughs> All right, well, let's move on to the next one. As a finance nerd, you would assume that I have my money game all together. Well, shocker, I didn't until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things I want to do is my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated, all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Monarch has a tool that allows you to easily import your data from Mint and keep all of your tags and categories. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving the product. They release updates every two weeks and allow customers to submit suggestions, vote on requested features, and view the product roadmap. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. If you're listening to Investing for Beginners, then you probably care about money and learning how to make a good relationship with your finances. 
Everyone's Talking Money is hosted by money wellness expert and certified financial planner, Shauna Game. Everyone's Talking Money focuses on relevant, inclusive, and forward-thinking conversations around money. Hear about the money topics you need to know, such as ways to train your brain to reach money goals, why you should ditch your budget and start tracking your cash, and everything you need to know about paying off student loans. Simple steps to start investing as a side hustle, ways to invest in rental real estate, how to overcome money trauma, and so much more. With over 900 episodes, there's a show for any and every money question you have. I'm a big fan of Shauna's as well. She has a relatable style and soothing voice that takes some of the stress surrounding money. Shauna really speaks to the listener and never ends in an episode without actionable tips. I recently listened to the episode, Stop Stressing Over Your Money, a simple budgeting solution, where she talks about her simple, easy one, two, three system for budgeting. It helped me a lot. Are you ready to learn everything about money that no one has taught you? Do yourself a favor and subscribe to Everyone's Talking Money podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So we have how to invest as a recent college graduate. So target group will be young folks don't have much money yet still want to start somewhere. So this, I think, is a really intriguing question. What are your, I guess, initial thoughts? Initial thoughts is just don't overthink it and just dive in. You can open a account with Fidelity and you'll be able to invest with as little as $5. And I would do that. I would find a company that you're very familiar with, start buying shares, get familiar with that process. Mm -hmm. And then just understand that this is a long game. You're ideally going to be able to invest for however long you're alive. So keep that in mind when you're thinking about, I know we always think about, okay, how can I turn this hundred bucks into 200 bucks next year? It's like, wait a minute. We're, we're not just investing for the next six months or a year. We're not getting a grade in school. This is a lifetime endeavor. So you think that five bucks here, five bucks there isn't much or a hundred bucks here, a hundred bucks there isn't much. But over time, over a lifetime, it can become a lot. And especially mm-hmm. if you make it into a habit. So I would start simple and then just have the mindset that I'm going to keep doing this and I'm going to keep putting in more and more and understand that as you get older, hopefully you can have more and more money to put in and that's just going to snowball. Yeah, I totally agree. Here's what I think I would probably recommend. First of all, you can do it. Number two, anybody can invest. There's a million different options and don't let that overwhelm you. I'm saying that to encourage you that there's many different ways to start and you don't have to start just one way. And you don't have to have lots and lots of money to start. Like Andrew said, you can start with as little as $5. And opening a brokerage account, whether it's with Schwab or Fidelity, those are the two that we like the best. There's no fee to do that. It's free. And it takes literally five minutes. And it's very easy to do. And I think the biggest thing is start. Dive in, jump in, step off the ledge, whatever acronym, whatever phrase (laughs) encourages you to do it. Buy something doesn't matter what it is. And it could be anything from the company that you work for to your best friend's favorite food place to, you know, Starbucks. It could be anything. Just buy something. And once you do that and you have skin in the game, then you'll start to, you know, realize that there's, like Andrew said, this is a long game. There's more to this than just, picking stocks. You need to set a habit. As a young person starting out, I would encourage you to make a budget and as part of your budget, set aside some money 
to start investing. If you don't have a lot and $5 is literally all you can do, then make it five bucks. Make it a habit. And by making it a bill, you'll make it a habit. And once it becomes a habit, then it's going to be something that you're going to want to do and continue to do. And like Andrew said, you know, yeah, the five bucks may sound like a lot. And next year it's uh, maybe $7. And you think, whoop-de-doo, I'm not going to get anywhere with this. But it's like a snowball. You start with a little pebble at the top. And by the time it gets to the bottom of the mountain, it's this monstrous snowball. So it's the same thing with investing. That's the power of compounding. And you can start with your 401k if you're lucky enough to get in a job that has a 401k. That's a fantastic place to start. It's low pressure. There's not lots of choices to overwhelm you. And it's a very easy way to do it because they take the money out of your paycheck and you don't even see it. And it also gets you tax benefits. So there's lots of great ways to do that. If you don't have that option, then you can open a brokerage account, whether it's a Roth or a traditional, and you can do the same thing. You can just set it as a bill, put it in your account, and then buy something. It can. You don't have to buy individual stocks either. You can buy ETFs. You can buy an S&P 500 ETF or anything like that just to get started. Those are great investments. They do very, very well over a long period of time. And they will make you money with maybe less risk than trying to buy, you know, catch the next crypto thing or the next AI thing. Um, and those are safer ways to start. And the world is your oyster. When you're starting up, you have so many options. And I can encourage you to take the plunge and do it. Let's say you've taken the plunge. Let's say you bought a stock that was a hot stock and now it's down. So now maybe you're a little more serious into the game. How would you recommend moving from there? I think the next thing I would probably encourage people to do is once you start having some skin in the game and maybe the the stocks aren't performing as well as you'd like, then I would probably try to find out why. Like start asking that question. Why aren't they doing as well? Why is, I picked Activision. Why isn't it doing as well as other gaming companies? Why is EA Sports doing better than Activision? And just start with, Asking that question, why? Because that's going to open up a whole Pandora's box, if you will, of information that you're going to want to you're going to want to learn about. If you're picking individual stocks, you're going to have to, over time, learn how those businesses work and how they make money and what drives people to use their products or services. Because that will go a long ways towards telling you whether it's a good investment or not. Because again, it all comes back to. When you buy Activision, you're buying the company. You're not buying the ticker. You're buying the business. And the business is what drives the performance of the stock. It may not for a week and it may not for a month or two, but for five years, it absolutely will. And so I would encourage you to ask that question. Why? Why is Activision not doing as great as as EA Sports or Take-Two Interactive? Look at me spitting off all these gaming companies. It's like I know something I don't, but (laughs) it's like because Andrew's been, we've been talking a lot about them. But my point is, is that you can, once you start asking questions, then you can start finding research. Einvestingforbeginners.com, you know, shameless plug. Fantastic website that we have created with lots of great resources to help you start learning how to analyze a company. And that's really what it comes down to is trying to figure out the engine that drives the company and why people want to use it and what, why this is a good company, maybe why this is not a good company. Cause sometimes, you know, the first company we may pick may not be a great choice. Andrew and I got lucky and we got Microsoft, which was turned out to be a fantastic choice, but that's not always the case. And I, what was your tra- second pick? What was my second pick? My second pick was Sierra wireless complete dog. <laughs> <laughs> I think I lost 85% on that one. So, and as it crippled your financial future, 
No, it did not cripple my financial future and it did not, it did not discourage me from continuing to invest and learn more about it. It just made me curious. Why did this company do so badly when everybody thought it should do great? Right. And it just led me into the, the rabbit hole of trying to figure out why this company wasn't as good of an investment as I may have thought it would be. Yeah. So even just by starting to your mm-hmm. point, you were able to kind of kick the ball down the field. Yeah. And now you know way more than you did back then. Hopefully. Oh, yeah. yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com. One would hope. So, but, you know, it doesn't sound like a lot, right? Like mm-hmm. I talk about this a lot, but I think it's such a good example. I bought Microsoft because of pure luck. I bought it at $27 a share and I bought one share. Today it's worth something like over 300 mm-hmm. And I am buying shares of that now at 300 a share. Right. So I'm happy to buy. The point is like a share today could be, might not be a lot now, but it could be a lot in the future, especially mm-hmm. if you're in a good business. So it's like, I wish I bought more obviously, but if I buy a share now, I feel good about it. Right. Mm-hmm. But that's the same share I could have bought 10, 10 years, years ago, ago. Right. 10 years ago. It's the same share and I'm still feeling good about it. So mm-hmm. I, we don't know what that is 10 years from now, Mm-mm. but it could be the stock you're buying that doesn't seem like a lot, but in 10 years becomes the stock that everybody wants to buy. So I think don't get discouraged if it doesn't do well. And if it does do well, don't get too overhyped. <laughs> don't get too right. confident. Don't get too cocky because the market will humble you very quickly. And that's the, the thing that we need to always remember is that, you know, it's a complex place. And just because we think it's a great company doesn't always mean it will be a great company. And we just need to continue to try to learn as much as we can from our successes as well as our failures. And over time, you'll learn more and more and more. It's just like, you know, chipping away at an iceberg or, you know, stone dripping, water dripping on stone. It'll eventually make an impression. So what would be the easy button here? If this stock or that stock sounds like a lot, you mentioned the S&P ETF. Can you just break that down for somebody who's just starting? Yeah. How do you buy it? Yeah. So the stock market has a collection of index funds or ETF funds, which are exchange traded funds. And you can buy pieces of those that will give you a portion of the S&P 500, for example, which is one of the markets that you can buy that contains 500 of the top businesses in the United States, for example. And so when you buy the S&P 500 through an ETF, which you can buy in your brokerage account, one of the, I guess, the two of the most common tickers that you can buy, which would represent an S&P 500 ETF would be SPY or VOO. And you buy both of those, either one of those, and then you get a portion, you get, you're buying the S&P 500. And that includes companies like Apple, Google, Microsoft, Tesla, you know, on and on and on and on. So that's a great way to get started. The returns on the S&P 500 over the last hundred years, give or take, have been between nine to 10%, depending on who you talk to and which study you look at. So those are great returns. And 
you can easily buy them and you can just continue to buy them. It's going to give you a lot of diversification. You get to partake in the growth of the economy of the United States, which right now is the best in the world. And so there's lots of advantages of that. They pay dividends. You can reinvest those dividends to help grow your investment more and more. And so that's a very easy way to do it. And you can just literally buy it through your brokerage account. So it's not, you don't have to go anywhere special. You can go to Fidelity and you can buy SPY and you can buy BOO if you want to use those as a way to get started. And that's, I feel like we skate over this so much because we forget sometimes it's like you can, with those $5, you don't have to have enough to buy a whole share. You're just going to buy a little piece of that and then you can continue doing that over time. So you don't have to have $400 to buy a share. You can buy a little partial shares and yep. That's something that wasn't around 10 years ago when I started. No, me either. No, you know, if you wanted to, you know, Google was trading in, in the thousands, so was Amazon. Yeah. And if you wanted to buy a piece of Amazon, you had to save up a couple thousand bucks to just buy one share. Right. Uh, you know, they've done a stock split since, but still, you could buy it before they did the split. You could buy a partial shares of that. No, it's, I mean, that's amazing. It makes it easy for people to get started. All right. So last question. So we have, what metrics should we look at when considering a company's growth? I know you focus on value primarily, but growth, I feel, is an important aspect to considering when analyzing companies. Thank you, Maddie. Now, this is a great question. What are your thoughts on the growth equation? I 100% agree. You have to... Ditto. It is a super important aspect, and it's part of the consideration of value. Because if I have two companies and one's growing more than the other, I'm willing to pay for the company that's growing faster than the one that's growing slower. Mm-hmm. And if you're not looking at that, then it's going to be tough to win over the long term. So you 100% have to look at growth. Yeah, you absolutely do. And Buffett has said it many, many times throughout his uh, shareholder letters that he considers growth part of the value equation, if you will. And that's what he looks for as companies that you know, are selling for, you know, value indicates that the company is selling for a discount to the price, not that it's selling to a discount to the growth of the company or that that's not important. Basically what it's saying is you're going to go out and buy a Tesla instead of spending 50000 for the car, you're going to pay 30000 for it. So that's, a, it's the same idea with buying a stock. You know, it's still a quality company that's growing well. It's just, there's a dislocation between what it's worth and what it's selling for in the market. And that's what you're doing when you use value investing. So growth is a very important part of that whole equation. And you need to account for that. So I guess kind of to ask answers many question, what metrics do you look at to consider revenue growth? Yeah, revenue growth. That's the answer. <laughs> well, that's the start. So revenue growth is good because you can't have long-term growth without it. You can, in the short term, you can help with your profit margins and you can squeeze out more profits. But at the end of the day, you can only squeeze so much juice out of the fruit. If you don't have revenue growth, you have to have more sales. If you don't have that, you're not going to get sustained long-term growth. So I like to look at longer time periods and try to find some middle ground for those growth rates. So as an example, if a company was growing, let's say it grew 40% because they had the huge pandemic thing happen and and it really helped their sales for a year. You don't want to assume that that's going to continue, especially if the nine years before that they grew closer to 10%. So you would kind of look at that one year of huge growth as an anomaly and figure, okay, 
I'm going to assume that this company grows maybe closer to 10%. It's a very simplistic way to look at it, but it actually is kind of close to to what I'm doing because really we can't always predict how companies are going to improve their efficiency or improve their profit margins. A lot of that's unknowable. But what we can know is, for example, insurance premiums for cars, auto insurance premiums have grown around 5% a year for decades. So is it reasonable for me to think that Progressive Insurance, which is a company I own, get their revenue growth by 5% a year? Well, if they've done it for two decades, I don't see why they can't do it another decade. So that's one component of the growth. And you can kind of break that up a million different ways. But that's how I kind of like to look at it is give me a longer time horizon. It could be five years, it could be 10 years. How has that company grown its sales over that time? And then find that middle ground. And then that could be a pretty good measurement for, is this a fast grower? Is it a slower grower, medium grower? That kind of thing. What about you? I mean, that's awesome. So let me, I guess, kind of ask a question. How would that pertain to, let's say, a company is the younger company. It's profitable, but it's a younger company. And maybe their growth rates are right now are higher. Okay, let's maybe use this this example. Tesla, it's a bigger company. Their revenues are, it's a bigger number, but they're still growing at in the 40, 50% range. When you're trying to you know, take that into the equation, it's kind of defying a base rate. And so how do you think about something like that? That's a great question. So I'm not, I'm far from an expert with high growth companies and projecting rates with that. Something I think that could be simple to put you in the ballpark is look at what's the industry's revenue right now. So you can look at Ford, GM, Toyota, all all these companies how much are they generating in sales? And then how much of that can Tesla take? Is Tesla going to take 99% of SUV sales and car sales? Probably not. So maybe take that down and maybe they become the number one. So is that 40% of the market? Is that 30%? Could be any of those things, but that's kind of where I would look and then kind of back engineer it to say, Okay, 40% growth for the next 10 years just is not a possibility because this is the number that actually is being that we're actually at now. And then you also want to include the growth of the industry itself. So, as an example, as the economy grows, people spend more on cars. So, if I think the economy is going to grow at 5% for the next 10 years, then you add a 5% over the next 10 years for that whole car industry Mm -hmm. and then figure out from there how much could Tesla take. That's how I would look at it. Oh, that's a great framework. I really like that. Um, I had not, I guess I hadn't really thought of it that way before. And I think that's actually something I'm going to steal. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I think that's a smart way to look at it is, you know, considering some of those factors and also configuring in the competitors and how that could impact the business as well. You know, the fanboys will say, well, I'm not considering the rare earth mining that they're going to be doing as they drill into asteroids. So that's my bad. I'll forgive you this time. <laughs> we'll forgive you this time. <laughs> All right. Any other ways to measure growth? So I think a metric that maybe you can use to help you measure growth that is not super in-depth. We had a recent episode with John Rotanti talking about ROIC, and that was very in-depth. But another metric that you can use is called return on equity, or ROE. And that's another efficiency ratio or ratio that you can use 
to measure how well a company generates profits from the equity that the company owns. We as shareholders of Apple own the equity of Apple. And so a return on equity measures the net income or the earnings of the company compared to the equity. And the more efficiently, so i.e. the higher the ratio, so let's say that Apple has a, a ROE of 30%, that means that they generate 30 cents for every dollar of equity that they create. And the higher that number is, the more earnings that they will generate from the equity of the business. And it's an easy metric to use to see how efficiently a company reinvests. And reinvestments are part of how any company is going to grow. One of the choices that as the, the CEO or the management team has choices on how they want to spend the money and ROE is a way of us being able to, to measure how well a company invests as well as how efficiently they invest and how wisely they invest. You know, if they have a really low number, but they keep reinvesting in the company, then you can ask yourself questions like why, you know, it's in essence, they're throwing our money away. They're burning it up by wasting it on investments when they could either, where they could just give us a dividend or they could buy back shares as another choice. There's lots of factors that can go into that. But I think the basic premise is, is you could use ROE as a proxy to tell you how well the company is investing. And that should give you an indication of potentially how well they should grow. Because again, going back to Apple, if it has ROEs or returns on equity of 30%, you would anticipate that the company would grow well over a, a long period of time. And that could be at historical levels or that could even be better than historical levels. So let's say, for example, that their average ROE over the last 10 years is 20%, but the last three years they've been averaging 30%. Well, based on that, you could anticipate that maybe you could see a bump in revenue growth over the next few years or in the next few years based on investments that the company is making that could generate more income for for the, the company. They could be creating a new product or they could just be making their services that much better and make them stickier and more like our uh, sample stands, i.e. me, wanting to buy all the stuff. And that's really what it comes down to. So, I mean, that's a metric, I guess, you could use. Did I cover that okay? Oh, yeah. No, that was wonderful. So what's a good ROE? What's a not so good ROE? How do you kind of frame those? Yeah, that as in finance, it depends. Generally, anything, depending on the industry, Anything probably over 15, 20% is going to be pretty good. And once you start climbing into the 30s, 40%, then you're seeing outstanding returns. It will depend a little bit on the industry. So for example, banks, for example, ROE is a metric you can use with banks, but those are going to be lower. They're going to be in the 10, 12% range, maybe even in the 15% range. And those are going to be the good ones like JP Morgan, for example. But well, you could if you're looking at why they only have grown around 10%. Because mm-hmm. our ROEs have been so, you know, right, five ten percent because our ROEs are so low. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And you know, conversely, you look at tech, any tech, and they're, they because of the nature of their businesses, they may have much higher returns on equity than more traditional companies like a Fastenal or a Walmart or some of those that are more retail-based and that have lower profit margins. So there's other things that go into this and it can, as a general rule, anything like 15, 20% is going to be good and anything above that is going to be amazing. So that, I think that would be a kind of a good 
I guess, benchmark to start with. And then what about young, super young growth companies in ROE? They probably won't have any. <laughs> this is mostly because, you know, super young companies, a perfect case in point is a company called CrowdStrike, which is in the internet defense or internet security business. And it's a very fast growing young company. They've only been public for three, five years. But the one of the, the numerator of the formula is net income or earnings. And they don't have any, they're negative. And so you add negative to a positive, you get a negative number, math from fourth grade. So they don't have a return on equity because you can't measure it. There, you could, you can make adjustments. This might be a touch inside baseball, but you can use, instead of using net income, you could use operating income and measure that against the equity of the company. But this is a big but. If you do something like that, you have to do it with other companies in the same industry. So if you're going to compare CrowdStrike to MongoDB or Palo Alto Networks or you know Datadog, you have to do the exact same adjustment to them so that you can get an even comparison because some of those companies may be profitable and so they actually have an ROE and CrowdStrike doesn't. So that would be a way that you could kind of use it as a reference point to see that, okay, you know, hey, their return on equities, adjusted return on equities, if you will, measure or match the other ones or are similar. And so you could get a kind of a reference point with that. I find it kind of like a fine balance. You know, I would accept a company with a lower ROE if it had really high growth rates as far as like revenue growth rates mm-hmm. because you're measuring profitability and one of the ways to kind of sacrifice profitability is to spend more to try to achieve higher growth. Mm-hmm. And then on the flip side, if a company had like an ROE of 40, but it was growing like 2% a year, I would not get excited about that either. Mm-hmm. So there is a little bit of a balance to it, but your point is 100% valid. A company with a higher ROE versus a company with a lower ROE all else equal is going to be able to grow Mm -hmm. much easier. Yeah, much easier. And I guess the one caveat that I'll throw out there about ROE, ROIC, any metric, there is no one metric fits all or best metric for everything. A lot of times you're going to have to use a combination of different things to help you analyze different companies or get snapshots of it. And one of the things about return on equity is it can be skewed by companies using a lot of debt. And without going into all the nitty gritty of that, it's just something you have to be aware of. And so like Andrew was saying, a company that has an ROE of 40, but they're not growing very fast, that could be because they're taking on so much debt and the stock market doesn't like that. And so it doesn't give them good returns and they're not really investing very efficiently because they're using debt and maybe it's not being done well. There's a lot of different factors that go into that. And if you're super, super curious about all this that we're talking about, go to einvestingforbeginners.com and we have several articles about return on equity. And there's also one that I'd like you to take a look at too. It's called the DuPont theory or DuPont analysis. It's a little advanced. So if, if you're not quite sure on what's going on, they'll give it a read and you know you can try to do some more research on it. But it really breaks down the return on equity formula and kind of what drives the returns on equity. And if that's something that really interests you, it's a great deep dive into return on equity. I highly recommend that. If you think Dave's good on the mic, which he obviously is a master at, you should read his writing because 
hard to believe, but he's even been there as a writer. So it, you're missing out if you're not reading this stuff. Thanks. Thank you. All right, folks. Well, with that, we will go ahead and wrap up our show for this week. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to our show on your preferred podcast app if you enjoyed our little show. If you would, kindly consider giving us a review. It greatly helps our show. And don't forget to browse the incredible materials we've created for you at eInvestingForBeginners.com. You can learn more about return on equity, for example. Hint, hint. Lastly, continue growing your knowledge as an Investing for Beginners insider with insights and educational tips delivered right to your inbox for free. Sign up today. And with that, we will go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.